You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. I am recording on Friday, October 6th. I'm not going to lie, this is like my fifth time recording this intro because I'm having major technical difficulties. My entire operating system had to be updated and the struggle has been real. I can't believe it's October. It's my favorite month. Although it's currently 93 degrees in Los Angeles, so it doesn't quite feel like fall yet. I have no big news over here. It's just been a busy few weeks. I know I've mentioned this before, but I recently joined Substack and I'm so enjoying it. It's like how Instagram used to be with everything curated just to your liking, but through written word and no ads. So if you're looking for more bookish content and recommendations, come follow me over there. I'm there as books are my people. Now through January 1st, all of my Substack content is free and much of it will remain free after January. But now is the time to experience some of the perks of being a paid subscriber, including my monthly most anticipated reads, a weekly book social club where we discuss what we're reading and loving, and starting in January, a read along, which will be like a light college level lit class. No homework, just fun. I'll be doing them a few times a year. I've already selected January's pick, and I'm so excited to share it with you over the next few weeks. And you can always just pop on for a month or two as a paid subscriber when I do a book club and hop off. So join me over on Substack at Books Are My People. I recently attended my kids' back-to-school day, met their teachers. They're taking such cool classes like the history of international film and computer programming and literature and film interpretations. It almost makes me want to go back to high school. Almost. One of their math teachers showed us the Monty Hall problem, which is a brain teaser based on let's make a deal. It was so fascinating. I'm still thinking about it. I'm not a math person, but this sort of real life application makes me interested in math. I'll leave a link in the show notes to the Monty Hall problem. Apparently there was a documentary based on this problem, but I'm having trouble locating it. If I find it, I'll let you know. And if you find it, let me know. This is my pitch for you to attend the Victoria Festival of Authors this year, in person, of course, if you're local, and virtually if you are not. My friend Laura from grad school runs this festival. They will have some amazing authors, and the event runs from October 11th through the 15th, and all virtual events have a free ticket option. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And now it's time for a guest author recommendation. Today's guest is Stephanie Oakes, author of The Meadow, which takes place in a country ravaged by climate disaster. The Meadows is a special facility and school for only the most remarkable children in the country. But The Meadows keeps dark secrets. Its purpose is to reform students and is essentially conversion therapy for queer kids. So let's hear what Stephanie has to recommend. Hello, this is Stephanie Oakes. Um, I'm the author of The Meadows that just released, and I'm so excited to be on your podcast today to recommend a book. Um, The book I'm recommending to everyone who asks right now is The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakrabordi. It's this really fun, kind of swashbuckling adventure, historical fantasy book about this middle-aged female pirate who has retired but has kind of been pulled in to do one last job. And I loved it because you don't often see a middle-aged female protagonist like 
kicking ass and being a boss. Um, and it was so fun. It was really inventive, um, fantasy. And this, the setting was so unique and rich. Um, and I really hadn't read a book set before in around the Indian ocean. And I read that the historical time period was sort of based around 12th century. And we get to go to Yemen, Oman, Somalia, all of these really cool places. Um, and I have not been so excited for a sequel in a long time. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but the day it does, I will be at my bookstore picking it up. And again, that was Stephanie Oakes, author of The Meadows, which I can't wait to read, recommending The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty. I'll leave a link in the show notes to purchase both of these books. And now it's time for some bookish news. Amazon, boo, has released a series of short stories, yay, called Creature Feature, creepy stories written by authors at the top of their spooky story game. I'm most looking forward to Grady Hendrix's Ankle Snatcher. Other authors participating include Josh Mallerman and Paul Tremblay. These are short works that can be read or listened to, which is how I plan on consuming them in one sitting. I'll leave a link in the show notes, and I believe they're free if you subscribe to Kindle Unlimited. Lydia Davis's newest collection of short stories is out. It's called Our Strangers, and in my mind, she's the queen of flash fiction, and she's doing something with this new collection that is really interesting. It will only be available at independent bookstores and libraries, and I'm curious if this will become a trend with other authors. Penguin Random House has joined forces with Pen America and Little Free Libraries to host a banned book wagon tour, handing out copies of banned books to some of the most affected communities. By now you know how passionately I feel about this subject, and I make it a point each month to buy and then place a banned book in a Little Free Library and post it online. I'll leave a link in the show notes to the banned book wagon tour dates and locations. Kazuo Ishiguro is publishing a collection of song lyrics he's written for the American jazz singer Stacy Kent. I had no idea he wrote song lyrics. Ishiguro is the author of the incredible Never Let Me Go, Clara and the Sun, Remains of the Day, and countless other novels. The book will be illustrated by Italian artist Bianca Bognarelli. I just love a good cross-disciplinary collaboration. And thank you to the listener who reached out to let me know that the length of the episodes of Books Are My People are chef's kiss perfect. That made me so happy. And it also happens to be a clue to the book we'll be reading on Substack in January. If you like what you hear, maybe not today because the sound is kind of wonky, you can always reach out and say hi. I'm at booksaremypeople at gmail.com or you can message me through Instagram. And if you're moved to do so, it would be great if you could rate my show wherever you listen because it helps other book lovers find out about it. I am hosting a book giveaway for all you have to do is call. It will close on Thursday, November 2nd, and I will announce a winner on Friday, November 3rd. This is open to U.S. mailing addresses only. To enter, follow me on Instagram, leave a comment below the all you have to do is call giveaway post, and sign up for my weekly Books Are My People newsletter out each Tuesday with new book releases, paperback releases, and more if you haven't yet already. You can gain extra entries by sharing the giveaway post in your stories and by tagging your book-loving friends. What is all you have to do is call about? Well, today's guest is about to tell you. 
Carrie Mayer is the USA Today bestselling author of The Paris Bookseller, The Girl in White Gloves, The Kennedy Debutante, and under the name Carrie Majors, this is not a writing manual. Notes for the young writer in the real world. She holds an MFA from Columbia University and lives with her daughter and dog in a leafy suburb west of Boston, Massachusetts. And I will leave a link to her website in the show notes. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Where are you calling in from? I live in a town called Weston, which is about um, 25 minutes out of Austin. So it's a really lovely place to live, except today where it's, it's raining. I love the rain. It's my favorite weather. But I know if you get a lot of it, it's perhaps not your favorite weather. So tell us what All You Have to Do Is Call is about. Well, it is about, it is loosely based on the real life Jane Collective that operated, it was an underground women's abortion clinic um, in Chicago in the early 70s. It actually started in the late 60s and went through the early 70s. Um, and actually, I say an abortion clinic, but they actually offered many more services in addition to abortion which were safe and inexpensive. Um, they, they did pap smears and pregnancy tests and STD testing and birth control counseling. In some ways, they were like a proto-planned parenthood. So my novel um, is a departure from my previous three historical novels in a couple of important ways, one of which is um, my first three novels were about real-life women like Grace Kelly and Sylvia Beach. This novel, um, the characters are entirely made up. Um, so I kind of used this sort of idea of Jane and some of the milestone moments of that real life Jane um, group, but the characters themselves are entirely fictional. And so we have three point of view characters, Veronica, Patty, and Margaret, and their stories are braided together to uh, create the novel. So I'm embarrassed to admit that I had never heard of the Jane Collective before reading your novel. How did you first learn about it? And then what made you compelled to want to write about it? I had never heard of the Jane Collective either until I was driving to meet a friend for a movie one day in the before times of 2018. <laughs> and I was listening to NPR, as I usually do. And they did this great news story about the Jane Collective as they talked about what they had done and accomplished in just a few years, I just kept going, what? They did what? Because they started as a, a, an abortion referral service. So they would, ref they found safe, reliable providers in Chicago to refer women to. The early women of Jane were college students, okay, <laughs> um, who were in these like women's lib consciousness raising groups. And they were kind of, so they were plugged into these, these um, networks of alternative providers. But then eventually they learned to give the abortions themselves. And these were women, I immediately thought to myself, you mean they were women just like me? They weren't doctors or nurses, and indeed they weren't. I mean, but did learn as a result of a lot of training and observing and eventually taking the curette into their own hands, um, learned to do it remarkably safely. Um, you know, some estimates are that between the referrals and the abortions that they actually provided, we're talking about like 11,000 abortions. Wow. <laughs> um, I know, right? And so I had never heard of them. And when back in 2018, 19, when I first started talking about the fact that I wanted to write write about them. Oh, and to answer the second part of your question, like 
I knew immediately that I wanted to write about them. I mean, I was just like, first of all, as soon as I stopped the car, I fire up Amazon to see if anyone else has <laughs> written about them, um, a novel about them. And no one had that I could see. And I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. I just have to do it. This is not your first rodeo when it comes to writing historical fiction. So what is it about this particular genre that compels you to want to share these stories? You know, it's the same that compels readers to keep reading historical fiction. Um, When I meet people out in the world at PTA meetings and things like that, um, people ask me what I do. I say I'm a writer. They say, what kind of writing? I say, well, I write historical fiction. And inevitably, their eyes light up and they're like, that's my favorite genre. And I always say, I always ask, well, why is it your favorite genre? And they all to a person will say, because I get to learn about something while I get swept up in a great story. It is exactly the reason I like to write it. You know, I enjoy the research piece and the learning piece as much as I enjoy the writing piece. Um, Sometimes more. (laughs) The learning part is... um, you know, a lot of wonderful reading. And um, sometimes I got, I watched documentaries. I watched a few documentaries actually for this book. Um, and so I just, I love that aspect of it. And then getting to put together pieces of history and um, ideas that I might have about particular t- times in history and about particular people and, and about, you know, the moment we're living through now, you know, that challenge of trying to write something about the past um, that resonates with people now is a real, is a challenge I really enjoy. Well, I think there is plenty to reflect on in our current times in terms of abortion access. So it's, it's a really timely book, even though it's historical fiction. I'm curious if there's anything particularly challenging about writing historical fiction. You know, there is that 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 tension that I just described, you know, where you're trying to write about the past in a way that's satisfying um, to a modern reader. And, you know, I think that presented itself in a few ways with this book. You know, of course, there is. I mean, the world actually changed when I was writing and revising this book. You know, I was in the revision stages when Dobbs went through and Roe was repealed. Um, but and as a result of that, the book didn't change exactly. But I did lean in a little harder to certain, um, to use the old fashioned terms, women's lib Um, theme, you know, they were already present in the book, but this, you know, the book takes place in the early 70s, which was a time of great optimism for the women's movement, right? Like um, Roe was about to be passed, Child Care Development Act that actually, that would have provided universal child care and preschool that had passed the House and the Senate, but Richard Nixon vetoed it. There was still you know, optimism that the Equal Rights Amendment was going to get ratified and made um, part of the Constitution. That was also not to be. But this was a moment when many things seemed possible. Our world was going kind of in the opposite direction. I was like, okay, well, it really wasn't that long ago that all of these strides were being made. And this could, this, this can happen again. Yeah, that's an important reminder. It really wasn't that long ago. 
And my last question for you is, what are you working on next? What has grabbed your attention for the next book? I am going to write a new challenge, um, a dual timeline novel set in the 1960s and the 2010s. Um, so a little bit of contemporary and mixed in there with my real contemporary mixed in there with my um, historical. Um, it's going to be set in the California in the wine country and in San Francisco during the counterculture revolution. And it's the tentative title right now is Summer of Love, which I have to say for many years, I thought Summer of Love referred to 1969, which was the Woodstock summer, but actually it refers to 1967, which was the summer of, um, uh, it started with big Vietnam War protests in San Francisco in the famous Haight-Ashbury neighborhood and became ultimately the summer itself was like just drenched with concerts. Um, you know, all of those great 70s bands you've heard of, um, they gave, they all played there. Um, and that was the summer of love, it was 1967. And now it's time to move on to the books. So Carrie, what is your first pick? Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez. I love Dolan's writing and she also hosts an amazing um uh, historical fiction um, book group, which is wonderful if anyone's interested in joining that. Um, but Take My Hand is about reproductive justice. And it's about, um, it's loosely based on the real life story of the Ralph sisters who were involuntarily sterilized in Alabama in 1973. So I think I was interested in this book for so many reasons. Um, and one of which was that it was post row, it was immediately post row, and about how many women's bodies were still not protected by Roe, and um, especially women of color um, in, in the South um, of our country. So, you know, I was just fascinated by the story. It's a tough read at times, but it's really ultimately inspiring and beautifully, beautifully written. Um, and I will also just interject here that all my pleasure reading takes place on audio. <laughs> so all the recommend are not only great books, but great audio books. So the reader for Take My Hand is really terrific. And I enjoyed it as an audio book. Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez. I'm a huge proponent of audiobooks as well. Living in Los Angeles, I sit in a lot of traffic, so I get a lot of audiobook listening done. My first pick is The Bee Sting by Paul Murray, and this originally came out June 25th, and it was recently nominated for a Booker, which happens to be my favorite award that I follow. Paul Murray is also the author of the well-known Skippy Dies, which I have not read, but now I would like to go back and read it. And The Beasting takes place outside of Dublin. It's about the Barnes family. Mr. Barnes owns an auto shop that's thriving until the recession hits. The structure of the story is so interesting in that it's told from four members' points of view of the Barnes family. It opens with Cass, their teenage daughter. She's about to graduate high school and has her sights set on attending Trinity College in Dublin. Then there's younger brother PJ, a consummate gamer. Uh, the section written in Imelda, the mother's point of view, is written in stream of consciousness and very reminiscent of James Joyce. There is not a lot of punctuation. So at first, it, it just took a moment for me to get the hang of no commas, no periods. And then there's Dickie, the patriarch. The failing auto dealership affects the family in different ways. 
And this is a family with a ton of secrets that unfold as the story progresses. And the inciting incident and where the title comes from is some family lore about how a bee flew into the car as Imelda and Dickie were on their way to get married and it flies right under her veil and stings her. So if you enjoy excellent writing, if you loved Hernan Diaz's trust, then I think you will enjoy the book. Um, Be warned, it's a hefty one at 656 pages. And again, that's The Bee Sting by Paul Murray. What's your next pick? So my next pick is A Special Place for Women by Laura Hankin. A Special Place for Women was really... I absolutely loved listening to this book in many ways of being young in New York City, although um, it also had real resonance for me as a a suburban mom and in midlife now. It's about a young woman who is invited into a coven in New York City. (laughs) And, you know, this the theme of uh, women helping women and feminism and witchcraft and what that really is, is a theme that gets really hashed out in some fascinating ways throughout the book. And obviously women and witchcraft, this is something that we have going back to this in our country to the Salem witch trials. So this is not a historical novel. It's a contemporary novel, but for those of you who enjoy history, it has real resonance with important history of women um, going back to the origins of our country. It's also very funny. (laughs) Laura is very funny. And uh, if you, Follow her on Instagram. She does these like charming um, laugh out loud uh, videos about her books and about being a writer. Um, So I just absolutely loved this book, A Special Place for Women by Laura Hankin. I love a book about a coven. I'm definitely going to put that on my to-be-read list. My last pick is Death Valley by Melissa Broder, and this comes out tomorrow. So in this novel, a woman checks into the best Western in Death Valley, and five months prior, her father was in a terrible car accident that has left him still in the ICU. At 41, this woman needs an escape, not only from the trauma of her father's experience, but also her husband's ailing health. She's weary with worry. She's an author struggling to write her novel. And in a surreal Alice in Wonderland moment, she hikes into the desert and discovers a giant cactus, which she enters through a gash in the cactus, only to discover a different version, a more vibrant version of her father there. And this is just the start of this beautiful fever dream of a novel. There are so many incredible observations on humanity throughout this book that unfolds like a time-lapse flower opening slowly and then all at once. It's a remarkable book about family, love, grief, and connection. And when I finished it, I just wanted to start it all over again. So if you're okay with weird books, then pick this one up. And thank you to NetGalley and to Scribner for the advanced review copy. And again, that's Death Valley by Melissa Broder. Carrie, what is your last pick? Wow, that one sounds totally amazing. Both of the, your your suggestions sound amazing. All right, my last pick is um, House of Eve by Siddiqua Johnson, which was a Reese Witherspoon pick, and we all know Reese knows what she is doing. This is a uh, two a dual narrator novel set in mid century Washington D.C. We have one character 
who is a, you know, a college educated young black woman who's really on her way places, who gets married to a wonderful guy, but they have trouble getting pregnant. And the other narrative is a teenage girl who also who's really smart and on her way places, but is derailed by an unplanned pregnancy. And their stories intersect in some very, very interesting ways. I, you know, I don't want to offer any spoilers, but it's really, it's another novel that takes a um, a look at reproductive justice from a very different angle and really also weaves in the very human desire to want a child to really like, what does that really mean? What, how does that change a life? How does that, how do we make decisions around, around wanting children as well as realizing that we can't have them? At particular moments in our life. So it's a really rich and complex tapestry of a book. I loved it. House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. Sounds fantastic. Adding that one too. This is the problem with doing this podcast is my list yes. runneth yes. over each and every week. Everyone can get a copy of All You Have to Do is Call through the show notes on my bookshop.orgshop or wherever you get your books. My next read is going to be Doppelganger by Naomi Klein. Do you have a next pick, Carrie, waiting to be read. Uh, you know what? Let me just, I'm going to fire up my Libro FM because we're talking about where we get our audiobooks. I get mine from Libro FM, which is um, how you get audiobooks from your local independent bookseller, which, however possible. Oh, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, read oh, by awesome. Meryl Streep. Fantastic. I have the the book book, the hard copy, but I'm a little bit envious that you get to spend all this time with Meryl. Meryl, I know. <laughs> you know, her. I don't know if you listened to um, Ann Patch's last book, but it was read by Tom Hanks, which oh, was also no. The Dutch House was read by Tom Hanks. That was also a treat. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was really terrific. And I love um, your mission to recommend as many books as possible in your in your um, in the space of time where you're talking to people. Thank you. I'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week. Mm-hmm.